Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. It's actually the last platform message we're going to have. But it's not the last lesson in, in the study. You've got one more if you picked up one of those workbooks that we're handing out. Uh, there's one more, lesson number 10. But we had this thing, you know, prayerfully scheduled out. And when we realized the importance of bringing Worship 101 to our main congregation, we just had to make a choice. And so we're not going to preach lesson number 10 from the platform. We will preach it on video and make it available to everyone uh, but then you have lesson number 10, you can go through yourself and you'll still be discussing it in your connect groups, et cetera, et cetera. But this is the last time we're going to talk about this particular series from the platform here. And let me just remind you, if you're just joining us or if you've kind of been in and out, the whole premise of this is kind of like following your favorite recipe. The New Testament teaches us there are spiritual ingredients, although they refer to them as disciplines, uh, uh, characteristics of what it means to be Christ followers that when they're incorporated into our life, we can see from both instruction in the Bible all the way through to the demonstration of the early church and how that's played out until today, that when we incorporate things, these things into our life, the Holy Spirit takes them and he begins to shape us and strengthen us and sustain us and satisfy us so that we begin to experience that supernatural life that the New Testament talks about. And so again, we're on the ninth week now. In weeks one through three, we talked about how important it is a passion for souls. We talked about a passion for God's word, a passion for the Holy Spirit. Weeks four through six, we talked about a passion for worship and for prayer and for giving. And then the last two weeks, we talked about a passion for holiness and humility. And Pastor Brandon uh, spoke last Sunday, and he said, we're going to talk about a passion for humility, and the crowd goes wild. And obviously it didn't because that's not really one of those that people get so excited about hearing. Well, if you think that one was exciting, then wait till you hear this one. Because today we're going to talk about a passion for authority. And it's not a real popular one, especially not in today's culture. But it is so in, uh, in intentional and so essential in the New Testament that here's what I'm praying and, and what I'm just confident. Between what we talk about from the platform here and what you have in your workbook, if you'll take 10 minutes to read through it, I promise you're going to get a re-aligned, uh, a resharpened perspective on what God's intent was for authority and what happens when you begin to learn to recognize and to bring yourself into alignment with the authority that God's put in your life, you'll begin to see the blessing there. In fact, we're not going to read it yet, but when we get to Romans chapter 13, you're going to find that there is a resounding verse that captures what the Bible tells us from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and that is that if we will cooperate if we'll learn to align ourselves with the authorities God's put over us, then that, that allows God to bring blessing and to bring increase in our life on every single area. Not just materialistic things, but, but the peace of God and, and the harmony and relationships, and it calibrates our heart. However, Romans 13.2 tells us if we resist that, if we rebel against authority in our life, and I'm talking about up and down the chain, anywhere in our life. If we don't understand this, then it brings judgment on our life and it creates a lot of unnecessary 
um, discomfort and difficulty, things that God never intended. And so it's kind of messy to unravel it sometimes. Like, well, where am I off track? And, but, but the Holy Spirit will help us with that. Now, let me give you one more thing. I think this is, is so important. I don't think it's ever been more relevant than it is today. In fact, just in the last week or two, we've had these things that have happened in our culture that kind of are reverberating literally around the globe. And they're just like attention getters, like what in the world, if you know what you're looking for. And so let me just kind of read you uh, what 2 Timothy chapter 3 says. We're going to read a few verses, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, one of the things that's going to mark, and I mean on every metric across the board, one of the things that's going to mark the last days is this disrespect for authority. Now watch this, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. But know this, it means it's a fact, it's going to happen. You may not agree with this. Ah, that's not really true. Okay, but it's going to happen. It says that in the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous is dangerous times. Times where, man, it's just risky. You're kind of watching your step everywhere. But again, it doesn't talk about the things that we automatically think of. Well, you know, terrorist attacks. and No, no. This is what's going to be the most dangerous about these last days. For men and women, by the way, will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. Listen, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But notice this, they've got this veneer over the top of them, having a form of godliness, small g by the way, Not necessarily the God we serve, but of what they consider to be a righteous life, a godly, a moral life, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And here's our instruction. It says, from such people turn away. Now, if my grandparents, even my parents were standing here, they would be a witness to you to say, we've watched that happen over our lifetime. Every generation gets a little more rebellious. Every generation, you hear the, the generation before them saying, man, when I was growing up, if you would have said that, if you would have done that, you would have had these consequences, and it's true. But listen to me, if, even if you disagree with that, well, you know, that's just kind of how sociology, you know, ev- evolves, and even if that's your stance, you cannot deny what we've watched in the last 10 years, in the last five years, in the last two years, there's this downward spiral, this acceleration. It's like somebody hit the gas, and our, our whole culture is just accelerating down, down, down. And you say, why, why, why? Listen, it's not just a, an, uh, it's not just a, 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 a dwindling of, of our morals and, and our, our character. It's not just that. Second Thessalonians says, this is very intentional in chapter 2, it says that that has to happen because it sets the stage for this Antichrist to show up. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it calls the Antichrist the lawless one. And until the world is to the place where law and order, civility, is no longer a, a unanimous goal. Everybody's got their own truth and their own approach and their own measuring stick about what's right. And until we get to complete lawlessness in the world, the Bible says that this Antichrist, this lawless one, will not show up. By the way, you can keep reading in, in Thess- 2 Thessalonians, and the, the, what helps the world to accelerate to that, at some point, the restrainer is removed. 
And scholars kind of go back and forth that restrainer, the one who's holding this back, is either the Holy Spirit or the church or both. They're the only ones standing up and saying, no, 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 that's not right. No, no, no. We still respect authority. We still honor those that God put over us. We still recognize there is right and wrong in the world. Morality is not this, this giant nebulous shade of gray. There are lines and standards. But once these people, once the Holy Spirit who's provoking them and convicting them with these values, once he's taken out, well, there's nothing to stop this thing from just going straight downward in a slide and the Antichrist speaks up. And some of you are thinking, well, praise the Lord, there's still hope then. Because there's still good people all over the world. Because th things are still happening. The church is here. And by the way, that's true. But here's the reason why it's important that we come back to the basic ingredient of a passion for authority. Is because most people, and I'm just going to throw Christians in there. I, I may have some wiggle room. But most Christians don't really understand the drift that has already taken place. And here's what I mean by that. Let's just say when we read 2 Timothy chapter 3, those first three verses, let's say that we mark that as a level 10. Like when we can see the whole world's right there, that's a level 10. That's as bad as it gets. And here comes the Antichrist, the lawless one who introduces himself. And everybody just, you know, just appreciates that and just loves that. Listen, in the last couple of years, we've watched an acceptability, in fact, an encouragement towards violence and encouragement towards rioting, and encouragement towards anti-establishment rhetoric. Listen, take the politics out. Take the disagreements out. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way that people approach and process this. And we've not only watched this accelerate, but, but we've watched those that are in the places of authority kind of just step back. Their job is to step forward. Right? And to bring about civility again, to mediate situations. Hey, we have a lot to talk about. We've got polarization on either side. We definitely need, need to have these discussions, but there's a right way and a wrong way. That's disappearing. And, and when we see that, we kind of see it spike. Remember, if 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 3 is a 10, we kind of watch in these moments from our television sets, some people around the nation experienced it firsthand. We watch things spike to a 7 or an 8. And we're like, wow, that, that's really bad. That's really bad. Well, it's because it's been on a, a drift now for generations, but especially in the last 10, 5, and 2 years to the point now, what we see as a spike to a 7 and 8, we don't even realize we live at a normal level at about a 3 or 4. It's all over the media. In every movie, dishonoring authority, disrespect uh, there's, there's no moral code anymore. Anything goes. Anything you want to say about anybody, about any, well, until recently, the cancel culture kind of interrupted that and didn't, didn't bring it back to, 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 uh, to, to, uh, to civility and to dignity. They just channeled the narration wherever they want it to go. But this is what's going on in our country. And if we don't realize that we're already, we're living at a three, three or four. We hear this stuff. We watch it on TV. And when we do, we might say, oh, isn't that terrible? But it doesn't bother us. Well, that's just normal. Yeah, it's just, you know, that's just how people are today. And it doesn't bother us. So we're starting at a three or four, not down here at zero where God set the standard. We're starting at a three or four. That's why when something happens and it's not quite at a seven or eight, it's a five or six. Like somebody slaps somebody on national television. 
and then out loud curses profanity right, right there on national television. Listen, the debate doesn't land where it should land. The debate is, well, was he justified or not? Not was the behavior right or wrong. It's all over the map, and you can get in opinions everywhere as to whether or not it was justified. But even if that were the case, here's what's not being talked about. What's not being talked about was the level of humor that is now acceptable that will attack and abuse and provoke people in public settings, well, see, that's because that's three or four. That's normal. And you can see it all over the news and in, in, you know, and in articles. Well, but they should know. You know, when, when you're a comedian, that, that's just the level of acceptability. Why? Because dishonor, disrespect has so eroded that we're so desensitized, we don't even realize anymore. God's trying to set a standard for us that will allow us to live in blessing. But we don't even see it anymore. We just live normally at a three or four, so something jumps to a five or six, and we have our opinions, and you know, it'll be quickly forgotten until something gets to a seven or eight, and nobody wants to step forward because five or six wasn't even rightly addressed because we're living normally at three or four. Listen to me, things will get to a 10 pretty quick. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm just reading what the Bible says, but I can give you a logical rationale as to how they will get there and why they're already getting there. And listen, our goal, the goal right now, let's just take the, 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 you know, the incident I referenced. I'm not, I'm not giving you a commentary on it. I'm just backing up and looking objectively through a Bible lens. This is how it's being processed. And you know what the goal is? The goal is to get back to a three or four. Not to address the whole dysfunctional, toxic scenario that it was in. The goal's not going to address that because there's already a normal standard. The goal is going to address whether this latest incident that was above the line that went from a three or four to a five or six, whether that was appropriate and justified or not, but that's where our culture is. And this is why it's so relevant that we step back to the Bible and say, wait a minute, but what does God say about this? Because if we don't even have a good baseline, well, then how are we going to be people that are discerning for our own lives and teaching our children and for the people around? How are we going to be able to say, no, this is what the Lord says when we're so desensitized and we don't even know what that says. We're just thinking it's normal. And as long as it doesn't ruffle our feathers, as long as this doesn't cause society at large to gasp, then it must be okay. It's not okay. It's just not. And when you see it through these lens, it, it's just, it, it's astounding. It's astounding how far we've drifted. And it also helps us to understand why the Bible says, yep, this is what sets up dangerous, dangerous, dangerous times. Now, I'm going to bring you back to your book. Um, if you have your book this morning, let, let me just first make an apology and an admission. There is a huge misprint and I'm not quite sure how this happened, but I want to draw your attention to it and let you know as we continue to print more, we'll correct this. But right there at the very top of the lesson, the key scripture is in Matthew chapter 6. That's not true. This key scripture is, in, is Romans chapter 13, verse 2, and we'll cover it in just a little bit. Also, I want you to say, remember, we're covering these ingredients or disciplines. They're overviews. We don't have time to get comprehensive. This is one of those lessons that's probably going to produce as much question as it does information. But grab the information and dig a little deeper in, into the workbook and allow the Holy Spirit to help you. And of course, if you have any questions, uh, we're always available and uh, would love to eat that. I uh, would love to help you with that. It's a great teaching, take you about 10 minutes to read. So today I'm gonna walk through the outline. We're gonna deliver a message that we can follow along on a Sunday morning. But there will be times where I'm gonna point 
to page numbers and, and, uh, and subject headings in your book to say, hey, if you want to know more about this, it's right there for you. And that's both to kind of instruct you, but also maybe to give you a little taste test and a teaser so you'll lean, lean in and take advantage of this. So we're going to begin by answering a question. We're going to be in Romans chapter 13. And here's the big question that we have to answer because we've drifted so far. We have to answer, what is authority? I mean, from God's standard. What's God intending for us to understand so that we can know where the lines are and we can know whether or not we're supposed to line our life up with it? And here's what Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1, says. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except for from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Verse 2, therefore, whoever, notice, resists the authority, that's one, also resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist both the authority and the ordinance bring judgment on themselves. Now, the first thing I want you to see is this word authority in a couple of different ways is used four times in two verses. The, the, listen, the Bible doesn't lack for phraseology. So when it repeats something or uses the same word or the same phrase over and over again, it's always for emphasis. It's trying to get our attention to zero in on what, what's being taught to us. And here it's the Greek word exousia, which always describes a delegated or an assigned authority, or, or an influence, something that was sent to influence something or someone in a certain direction. But notice it also uses the word ordinance. And this particular word is from a root word, uh, diotasos, and this means, this is talking about an established directive. It's talking about an order from, from the spiritual point of view through which God is channeling his authority. So God's saying, listen, I'm the supreme authority, but I've set up other levels of authority in the earth, in the way that life functions, and I want you to know, no matter how far down the chain that authority is, if you accept that authority, you're accepting my authority, because I'm the one who set it all up. If you reject that authority, you may not think so, no, I would never reject the Lord, you're rejecting God's authority because he set this up. This was not only his decision, it was his ordinance or it was his declared plan. If you could put a, a, you know, an organizational chart up there in the heavenlies, God said, this is how we're going to design it so that my authority can flow and cascade down to everybody that's on the earth so that God can, can bring blessing and covering and protection and provision. But God set up this whole idea of authority. And so it's really important we understand that. In fact, let me just read you one other translation that's super, super clear. And, it, and it's in the Amplified, the classic version of the Amplified. It says, therefore, he who resists sets himself up against the authority uh, and, and sets himself up against the authority, resists what God has appointed and has arranged in divine order. And we're going to talk about that more in just a little bit. But let me add a couple of verses to it. We don't have time to go into it, but scribble them down in your notes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, and in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it tells us here are two specific reasons why God chose and, and, and created this ordinance, this flow chart of authority, because he said he does that to ensure that things get done in the earth in a decent and in order, in a decently and an orderly manner. He, he wants there to be a flow. God's not a haphazard God. 
I know some people think, well, God's just in the moment. You know, well, he, he does do things in the moment, but even those have been thought through. Look at the Bible. He plans. He, he, he orders. He sets things right, and then he rolls them out, and he requires us to lean into that. But not only that, we, we also find out that, uh, that there are, that he does these, the ordinance, he does levels everywhere. In fact, on page number 30, and it goes for a couple of pages, uh, I just kind of walked through and showed you what are some of these levels of authority that most, if not all of us, are going to be dealing with on a daily basis. And it explains what God intended, it explains how it should be working in a very short synopsis. We're not going deep. But just to kind of help to recalibrate a little bit. Well, when you understand that all authority comes from God, this was his idea, and then it, it flows down so that we could do things decently and in order, so that we could live peaceable and quiet and godly lives. Everything is moving the way it's supposed to. It's not haphazard. We don't get insecure. We know exactly how things are supposed to work. We can set our rhythms. We, we can set our agendas and schedules by it. This is the reason God did it. When you understand that, then you also understand why God layered it all the way down through life. And here's the first truth I want you to see today. Authority is central to living an orderly life on every level. You may not like that, you may not agree with it, you may have had bad experience with authority, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, but the bottom line, if we come back to just the gold standard that God has in the Word of God, authority was given by God, and it's central to living an orderly life on every level. And so the Bible says if we learn to recognize and respect that, we're going to do well. Not like challenge-free, but we're going to do well, and we're going to know where to turn, and we're going to know how to, how to get you know, answers and solve the challenges. If we don't, then the Bible says that we are going to pay an unnecessary and a costly price. In our life, we'll, they'll be full of, of, of chinks and full of you know, uh, uh, confusion in our life because we're violating uh, the very heart of God. Now, I'm, I'm just going to make a bold statement. I really believe that every single person down in the heart of their hearts, they know that's true. And let me tell you why I think that, because take the person who says, that's not true, and put them in a place of authority, oh no, wait, it's a little true. Everybody likes this when they're in authority, because it's just like, well, if you just do what I'm saying, if you just do it my way, I'm telling you this thing will work. They get this principle when they're in authority. The problem is not everybody can be in authority all the time, right? Somebody's got to be in, in the submission part. Somebody's got to be aligning underneath the authority. And that's when things get really, really challenging. But here's the question, and that is why? Why do they get so challenging? If it's a God-ordained thing, why do they get so challenging? Let me give you truth number two. Everyone struggles with authority. Everyone struggles with authority. Now, not everyone loses the struggle, but everyone struggles with authority, every single person. And there's three reasons. You can see them starting at page 28 down in your notes. Uh, you can read a little deeper, but let me just give you some highlights. The first reason why everyone struggles with authority is because the Bible says every single one of us were born rebels at heart. Every single one of us. Listen to a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 22, 15 says, foolishness is bound up. Other translations rooted, wired, you know, meshed in to the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Here's another one, Proverbs 29, 15. By the way, this is just a real quick sampling. They're all over the book of Proverbs and really all over the Bible, but it says to discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. 
And why? Because, listen, from the time they're born, you don't have to teach children how to disobey. You don't have to teach children how to resist and push back on instruction. You don't have to teach them that. Man, they'll throw a fit, I mean, before they can even talk. They'll demonstrate arching their back and turning red and, you know, screaming. And they'll demonstrate, that's just not, I'm hungry, I need to be changed. At some point, it's like, I don't want to take a nap. I don't want to do what you're telling me. They, they, they learn this. What they have to be taught is how to humble their heart and how to submit themselves under those that God has put over them so they can be shaped. And so all of us struggle. That, I mean, that, that's just a universal thing. Here's a second reason why. Because God's intent for authority is so grossly misunderstood. We looked in these first few verses and we found out that God intended for authority to be a covering to be a conduit. He's the supreme authority. He's going to lay out the instructions and the standard through the word of God, and then he's going to establish these cascading layers so that leaders, people that are in authority, can bring God's leadership and God's instruction and God's promise down into the fabric of the people so that we can live quiet and godly and peaceable lives. This is clear all the way through the Bible. So the purpose of, of, of authority is, again, is to flow God's, God's touch, to flow God's heart down into people. But let me tell you what we've turned it into, uh, and, and it was never intended to be. Authority is never intended to be a place where you can leverage and force people to do what you want them to do. That was never intended to be authority, not on any level. Not only that, authority is never intended to be a system of measurement, That somehow when someone gets promoted into a higher level, now suddenly that means they're smarter. Suddenly that means they're better. Suddenly that means they're wiser. Suddenly that means they're more valuable than everybody under there. In fact, Jesus addressed this to his his disciples and said, if you really want to understand leadership in the kingdom, bring yourself to the bottom. Be the servant of everybody, not the one who's over everybody. Anybody can do that. That's just pride. But listen, but, but, uh, but, but the leadership authority was supposed to be to trickle down from the Lord, what can I do to best serve and to love and protect and provide for these people? Here's, here's the last reason why it's challenging sometimes to submit to authority because even though we're seeing in the Bible authority was God's idea and therefore it's good, not everybody who's in authority is good. In fact, some people that are in authority are bad. They just are. And I don't mean they're inherently bad, and I'm not measuring what level of bad, and I'm certainly not saying everybody in authority is bad. That would contradict the Bible. But there are some people that were bad, and here's why. Because not everybody that's placed in authority is placed there by God. God set up authority, but that doesn't mean that every single person that's in authority, that God's the one that put them there. Now, God's watching it, God's monitoring it, but there are some leaders that are there by opportunity. It's just at the right place at the right time. Hey, we need someone to step in. Hey, how about you? Okay, all of a sudden you're in it. Not only that, there's some leaders that are there by necessity because nobody's willing to take on the added responsibility of leadership. They'd rather just do their job and clock out and not have to worry about all the other stuff. And so that leaves one person standing. Okay, fine, I guess I'll do it. And, And that's why they're there. There's other people, it's because of who they are in terms of of the public's eye or who they know, and they find these back channels that that bring them straight to the top. The challenge with all that is a lot of these individuals will lack the maturity, 
They'll lack the experience. They'll, they'll lack the skill set to, to really be a good leader. Or worse, some of these people are so used to subverting the very system that they're now going to lead. They're used to back-channeling things that they're actually, they actually will hurt and wound people, not just serve them uh, in, a, in an inappropriate way. And so listen, not all of this uh, is directly from God. And that challenges us. Whenever we get put under a bad leader, for whatever reason, we're like, oh man, this is just really hard. It's not that I have a problem with authority. I just have a problem with this person because of the way they're leading. That's a legitimate thing, and we'll talk about that. But here's another reason. This is a misunderstanding by people who want to honor authority. Somewhere along the line, people got the impression that, uh, that submitting to authority is just kind of a blind, unquestioning obedience to whatever the leader says. Well, they're the leader. I have to do what they say. Where do you find that in the Bible? You're supposed to honor the authority, no question about it. But there's a few things that the Bible specifically talks to us about. And again, you'll find this in your workbook, but specifically tells us if if the authority that you're under moves you this direction, you need to stop and say, whoa, 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 I don't think God holds me accountable to that. For example, if the person that you're under an authority requires that you violate God's word, well, no, I'm under a higher authority. And we see examples of that all the way through the Bible. Now, be careful that you don't call violating God's word something that just violates your preference or violates, you know, an area of freedom or inconvenience. You know, well, that's not the Lord. Well, well, maybe not, but neither is it grounds for you to say, I'm not going to be under that authority. And see, we have to stay very, very scriptural with this. In fact, uh, Dean, I didn't ask your permission, but I'm just going to tell a funny story about Dean. Um, Dean, Dean one time, Dean one time was asked to go step in as an interim pastor to a church, uh, a small little church that's, that's not far away from here. <laughs> and, uh, and I knew on one Sunday morning he was supposed to be, you know, ministering in that church. And I was up here speaking like I'm doing now. And all of a sudden the door opens and Dean walks in. I'm like, what is going on? So I talked to him afterwards, and, and he'd been keeping me, you know, this was a real challenging church. He'd been keeping me, you know, in the loop, and he said this was like the final straw. Well, what had happened was um, Dean, Dean decided, you know, he's trying to minister to the church, and he's noticing there's some teenagers, and I really want them to feel involved in their service. And so he got there a little early, and he talked to these teenagers, and he said, hey, today during the offering, I want you guys to be the ones to take the offering and, uh, and we're going to continue to worship as the offering's being taken. Well, as soon as he tried that, somebody in the service literally stood up and said, we don't believe in that. Dean's like, we, we don't believe in taking offering or, no, we don't believe in, in what they're doing. We, we don't believe in our young adults being part, what, what do we, and it said, they quoted Math, Malachi chapter 3, 9 and 10 and said, no, the Bible says bring the tithe and offering. okay. Well, what their tradition was is during tithe and offering, the music would play and they would get out of their seat and walk to the front and drop it in a basket because the Bible said, bring it. And Dean's like, but we're bringing it to church. <laughs> and, and I mean, that was a deal breaker for them to the point they walked him right out the door and said, we don't even want you to stay the rest of the service. Now listen to me, that, that's what I'm talking about. See, now that's, an, that, that's a wrong reason for, for moving against authority. Dean had every right to make those adjustments. He was well within the scripture. In fact, I would argue that he was helping the church to grow and, and to become more of what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. But these very narrow traditional people took offense and they decided, yep, that's our line. He's trying to get us to disobey God's word. Not true. 
Not even a little bit, but we do this often because we let our passion lead us and we're not familiar with the scripture. So we have to be really careful about that. Here, here's another reason why uh, it may be time to say, to push back from authority and say, I don't know if I can go with you on this one. And that is recognizing that every authority in this ordinance, the structure of God, every authority has boundaries. Let me give you an example. Debbie and I were the authority over our children when they were growing up. No question about that. But we were not authority over all the children where we were at, even though we really wanted to be sometimes. We'd be out someplace, we'd be like, what is going on? And our own kids are like, how come we don't get to do that because it's bad, you know? And we wanted to say something, but see, we're not an authority. And if we would have stepped out and tried to correct those other children, like some people do every once in a while, even if you're right, you're wrong because you're outside your boundary. You don't have any, any boundary to say that. And there's some stuff you can see how that works. And it's even become difficult uh, in churches sometimes because you have pastors who, who are responsible with a spiritual authority to deliver the word of God, to deliver truths and principles, to guide prayerfully, but never to make decisions, especially in practical areas. I don't have the authority to say, you can't marry that person. You can't take that job. You can't buy that car. I don't have that authority to say it. I can bring you to scripture and say, well, this is what the word of God says. If invited, I can even say, well, here's where wisdom might apply. But ultimately, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. I don't get to play practical dictator like that. But some pastors, some churches have. And that's really put a bad taste in people's mouth and made it very difficult. All right, there's more you can read uh, down in, in, in the workbook there on page 29. But, but let me just stop and acknowledge, I know I'm oversimplifying it. I know we're just kind of threading needles and this stuff gets really complex. And some people have been really hurt and disappointed and, and, and abused and disillusioned. And I get all that. It's really, really big stuff. And so again, you can look in your book, page 32. There's de dealing with difficult authority. There's some scriptural understanding about how do you do that? How do you get healed from that? Uh, we just can't um, talk about this morning. Let me give you the last, the last truth. This one's really important. In fact, it's fundamental to everything else. Truth number three, a passion for authority begins with submitting to Jesus' lordship. Now that just sounds like, yeah, we know that, right? That's why we're here. Because we're Christians, we've submitted our life to Jesus' lordship, but not every Christian really understands this. And they, they confuse a couple of terms, and they think because they've used one term with all of their heart, that they've actually used the other term. But even Jesus interrupted his disciples and said, no, that's not really how it works. Let me walk you through this. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this, if you openly declare, notice this, that Jesus is Lord, that's really important. Because that, that's kind of a misdirect and a misnomer in the body of Christ at large today. And I'll point it out in a moment. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a definitive statement. This, there's no question about it. It's, it's cause and effect. If you do this and you believe that, then this is what's going to happen. Verse 10, for or because it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by, listen, openly declaring your faith that you're saved. Now, here's another area that I would love to walk through because there's so much confusion and desensitization and, and disillusion in the body of Christ. But on page 34, there's a little short section called Titles Matter to God. 
They do matter to God, but not for the reason that some people think. Titles have very little to do with pride and prestige and, you know, and, and power. It has very little to do with that. But titles are given by God and part of the ordinance, the structure of God, to initiate and to calibrate the flow of authority and submission. Let me give you an example that I, I hope, I think that you'll, you'll latch on to. It's disrespectful for children, especially young children, but really I would say children of all ages, it's disrespectful to children for children to call their parents by their first name. That's disrespectful. And you might say, why? I mean, that's the name they were given. All their friends call them that. People at work call them that. Why, why can't I call them that? That's actually their name. Because in your case, using their first name completely bypasses the recognition of parental authority that God's given in their life. Even if you're an adult and you're out of the house, you're not under the parental authority like you were when you're at elementary school, but you're still under the parental authority that says honor your mother and father. There's no expiration date on that. And so if you decide, well, I'm an adult now, we're best friends, I'm just gonna start calling them by their first name, I'm just telling you, you are hindering a divine flow of the blessing of the Lord in you being able to honor them and them being able to recognize I'm still a valuable uh, uh, part of this person's life, even if it means I'm just praying for them all the time. I'm still committed to this because parenting never expires. It's not like once they're 18, you're done. No, no, maybe they move out of your house, but your parents for the rest of their life. Okay, in a similar way, Christian life begins with submission to Christ's absolute authority in our life. And that's what Romans 10, 9 says. It says, if you confess with your mouth, notice this, that Jesus is Lord. And many people say, but I believe that Jesus is my Savior. And I believe that he rose from the dead. And I've confessed him as my Savior, so I'm born again. Well, yes, if the nuance if the authenticity of what it means to turn your life over to Jesus for rescue and salvation, if you carry all of that, I don't know that there's a technicality in heaven. Oh, use the wrong word. But the Bible's very intentionally and very specific saying that the acknowledgement of Jesus' lordship is what's required for salvation to happen. Not just he's my savior. And the reason that's so important, the word Lord here is the word kurios in the Greek. And it actually describes someone who's the supreme master. Someone who is inherently carrying the authority which automatically and inherently puts the other person into a place of submission. And what that means is when you say, Jesus, you're my Lord, then what you mean is, listen, you're the one from now on who's the supreme master of my life. You get to make all the calls. Whatever you decide, however you direct, my job is to say, yes, sir. Sometimes I'm going to love that decision. And other times I'm not going to understand it. And I'm not going to want to do that decision. But my job is to recognize from the moment I accepted Jesus as Lord, it wasn't just forgiveness of sin. Now I get a ticket to heaven. Woohoo! It was saying, nope, I'm submitting to your lordship that, listen, you're the lord over my sinful past. You have the ability to forgive that and to cover it, but you're also the lord over my future from this point on. And that's what we're saying to him. And listen, this is true to the point that Jesus is walking with his disciples, and one day he just turns around and he says, why do you keep calling me that? What? What are we saying? Why do you keep calling me lord, lord, and you don't do anything that I tell you to do? Why are you doing that? 
I mean, call me Messiah, okay, because that's, that's who I am. Call me Savior, because that, that's who I'm, that's who I, that's what I came for. But you keep calling me Lord, and yet you don't do anything that I say. And that was a real legit question. It was meant to put them back on their heels and think, why do we do that? And this is why the Bible says it's really, really clear that we understand. Listen, you know that when you submit your life to the Lord Jesus, he doesn't have to ask your opinion or ask your permission before he orders your life. Now, see, we, it's like, ah, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Hold on. If you're a parent, there are times when you're trying to explain to your little toddler at elementary school why they can't have ice cream for breakfast every morning. And they're not understanding the nutritional charts and the reason, you know, this isn't a great habit for them to get into. And so at some point, you just have to bring it to a close and you say, because I'm the dad. And, and they have to, listen, that's a big part of their learning, by the way. They have to learn to accept an instruction based on the authority that they believe loves them and is covering and caring for them, even if they don't understand it. How many of you know God knows a lot more than we do? God knows things that are happening in the future. He knows things that are happening all around us. He is keenly aware of not just forward progress, but of timing. And there are times that God will say no, or God will say not now. And when you said, Jesus, you're my Lord, that doesn't feel good. You won't enjoy that, but you already gave the Lordship to him. And you're required to, 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 to submit and to comply with that because then the Bible kicks back into the big principle because to resist authority at any level, especially his level, is going to be very bad for you. Blessings begin to, to, to stop. Just like any parent. Well, then I've got to narrow this until you will understand I'm more concerned about your heart than I am anything out in this scenario. I want to make sure that you're growing up strong and straight and you're recognizing and you're allowing for all that God intended to come to your life. And this is exactly what the Bible's trying to say. In fact, let me just read Romans 10, 9 again. We'll finish it this time. If you openly declare, this is not a secret. This is not, well, you know, in you, God, you know my heart. He does know your heart. Sometimes he knows you're a little rascal. Sometimes he knows you're a little mischievous. Sometimes he knows you're not saying it, but you don't want to do what he's asking you to do. And listen, he's a tender-hearted, loving, patient father, but he knows your heart. But this says, when you get to the place that you will openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and you do it because you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, notice this, it says, in that moment, you will be saved. By the way, that's just not a one-time shot. That's the beginning of a process that now continues through the rest of your Christian life. And the word saved there doesn't just mean forgiveness of sin. It comes from the Greek word sozo, which means to be totally saved, starting with forgiveness of your sin, past, present, listen to this, and future. He washed you completely. But not only that, but then he provided for you the thing that we studied in the covenant series. He provided for you all these precious promises that will deliver you from this crazy infected world and allow you to live in a supernatural uh, uh, design so that you can experience all of God's blessings right in the middle of this perilous world that's coming apart. You can walk strong and straight and in confidence because Jesus is your Lord. He's leading you. We all love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. Love that. Just don't always love to do it. But this is exactly what he's telling to us. He's saying, listen, 
when we accept Jesus as Savior, what we are saying to him, whether we use those terms or not, which I think we should because that's what the scripture says, but even if you don't, what has to be happening in your heart is not just a, I want to be forgiven of sin, I want to go to heaven, but can we just work together on the rest? No. No, you can't. He loves you enough to say, there's things that I understand that you don't understand, but if you'll trust me, I will walk you right into phenomenal blessing. In fact, listen to what the very next verse says. It says, for or because it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And listen, and it's by openly declaring your faith. Let me fill in the gap what verse 9 said. By openly declaring your faith or your trust, your allegiance to Jesus' lordship, AKA submitting to his authority that not only will he forgive and cleanse your sin, but he will cover the rest of your life and he will lead you into all of the redemptive blessing that God gave for you. This is everything we're saying. It says, when you do that, you're saved. That's why developing a passion for authority, in spite of all of the, the dysfunction that happens in the fabric down here, in spite of people that, you know, that are not easy to be under, people that really don't have the skill set or the character to be there, people that are just on a power trip, and all of those things are addressed in the New Testament. There's blessing for every level of authority that you encounter if you're willing to find your way through and submit, even the ones that are difficult, even the ones that are abusive. This is clear in the New Testament. But when we go to a leader, we're not saying, I will submit to you as a person. All the leaders are broken, including me. We're, we're all working to, to, to adjust and to build and let the Lord transform our life. I'm not submitting to those over me because of the person. I'm submitting to me over, the, over them because I've submitted to Jesus as Lord. And Jesus said, as much as you possibly can, unless there is valid scriptural reason, line up with this ordinance and then you let me take care of the rest. There's other scriptures the Bible says, don't worry, God's the one who moves the heart of a leader this way and that way. God will change that. There's, there's things that are made, decisions that are made, and I go to the Lord and I don't pray, Lord, change that decision. Well, I'm not smart enough to know that. Boy, now I'm just manipulating something. I'll go to the Lord and say, Lord, this one doesn't seem right. I'm just going to pray a little bit and I'm going to trust that you're going to work in the heart of this leader here and you'll soften it, you'll churn it, you'll adjust it however you want to because I'm in alignment with leadership. I'm not going to challenge their authority if they're, unless they're violating the word of God or they're so far out of their boundary that I can't make sense of it. I'm going to stay with this and I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to love them. And by doing that, the Bible says, this, listen, this is an act of faith. Submitting yourself underneath a leader is an act of faith, not in the person, an act of faith in the Lordship of Jesus. This is what he said to do, and he will bless me for doing it, whether it's fun, whether it's not, whether it's hard, whether it's easy, whether it doesn't make sense or not. If I'm doing what the word of God says, this is the pipeline through which God's authority and God's grace will flow to my life, whether it flows through that leader or it flows to me because I'm supporting that leader. This is really important. Let me leave you with this last statement. You've heard me say it before. There are times that we honor people in authority because they're honorable love those times. That's the way God intended it. But there are other times that we honor people in authority, listen, because we're honorable. They're not behaving in a manner that deserves honor. But because the God we serve says, but honor them. And you pray for them and you let me work out the details. Then we work from that paradigm and we come back and say, Lord, then teach us how to be honorable people that have a passion for authority. 
Hope you've been blessed by God's word this morning. There's so much more in your workbook that I couldn't cover. Uh, but again, if you have any questions, just call the office. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.